Season 2 of the Pat and JT Podcast. Oh my, now I'm here at last. The best time, always gonna be the best. Come on! Exclusively on the Parkville Network. You know, what do they always say? If you're a manager or whatever, surround yourself with great people. If you have... um that make you look better, make you look smarter. Mm-hmm. When you uh, are hosting a podcast like mm-hmm. we do, mm-hmm. we get people that are on the podcast with us that are smarter mm-hmm. than us. It makes us look better. It ups our, uh, um, I guess it ups podcast our overall cool IQ. podcast, cool points, whatever. <laughs> uh, but that's honestly not hard to do. But we really outkicked our coverage again with Clayton Anderson, the Nebrastronaut, is on with us yes. live from his garage in Houston. Hi, Clay. Hey guys, you need to raise your standards. <laughs> you need to raise your standards. Yeah. You're on our podcast. You said yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we ask. <laughs> we'll just throw it out there. <laughs> I need I needed the airtime. <laughs> uh, there you go. Oh, there you go. So how are you doing? Uh, I am coronavirus free since Very 1959. Good. Very that's good. Great. That's awesome. Good to hear. Family's doing good. Yeah, we're surviving. Um, Mother-in-law, who's 90, is in uh, a local assisted living place here near our home, and it's really tough, right? We haven't been able to see her in months. The, the Cole and his girlfriend in Sutton and Sue did a drive-by uh, yesterday, but they still couldn't see her. You know, it used to be she could sit outside and we could pull up with the car, mm-hmm. you know, chat to, with her through the windows, but now they got her behind glass, so you have to use your FaceTime on your phone and, you know... I'm looking forward That's to the time that we can actually hug her again. Well, <laughs> right. exactly. I mean, so they won't even let her, they won't let her go outside. Well, they, not for this purpose. Right. Apparently some people were getting a little too close. Oh, and, God. Uh, <laughs> family, damn them, family. Giving them paraphernalia and, you know. Oh my God. <laughs> and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So the rules have, have taken over and. But she's doing well. She's healthy, and her facility is, as far as I know, corona free. So that's all good news. That's we awesome. Just, Which is with her again, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's the sad part for. Margarita. I wonder was the last time she had a margarita. I know, right? Oh my god! I know. <laughs> she's going to be behind glass in quarantine like that. At least they could get get her buzzed. I mean, come on, <laughs> right? Can't they set up a well, bar? We, we snuck her in some stuff, so hopefully some that's shooters. <laughs> Jello shots. Yeah, jello shots for grandma. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure they Metamucil next in. Yeah, oh, there you yeah. go. There you go. I'm sure they'd have no problem. Jello's gotta be like at the top of the list on the, the menu, isn't it? I mean just jello, guys. Don't worry, don't worry about it. <laughs> now is Metamucil, does that get things going or does that back things up? Gets it going. So they could call yeah. that a mudslide. <laughs> wow. Come on. That's a key. Metamucil is a key pre flight NASA uh, astronaut. Is it? Like how many days before do you have to clean out your combustion tank? Well, it depends. In on the Russians, they give you an enema on launch day, launch morning. Good uh, lord! I do it because I never flew on a Russian Soyuz. But uh, the U.S. you don't have to t- do an enema because we wore a diaper. And my understanding now, the Russians have their guys wear diapers too, um, because it's just something you don't want to have to deal with. But most of yeah. most astronauts and cosmonauts are kind of sick and green on that first day anyway, so. Um, you know, having a bowel movement's not at the top of their list. Yeah, but not. Does that happen like primarily when you're like going up, like launching, like you're like, holy bleep. And you thank God you have a diaper on, or is it like a plan thing kind where you it. know you can't go to the bathroom in the next eight hours. So you better wear one. Um, it's planned. And, you know, I teach at Iowa state. So I tell my freshman kids to go home on a weekend and 
put on an adult diaper and lay on their back in the bathtub and drink their favorite pack of beverages and then try to pee in that diaper. Best best homework ever. It's what that? I I lost the the end of it. So I had the Iowa State freshman students put on an adult diaper. I asked them to as a homework assignment to put on a diaper, go to their bathtub, lay on their back, and drink a six-pack of their choice of beverage. (laughs) And then try to pee in that diaper, and it gives them. They don't. I don't think they do it. But if they did, it would give them a sense of what it's like to be on the launch pad on your back, having to pee and not necessarily being able to pee. Right, laying down. I mean, seriously, because you are looking straight up. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. Well, just if you're in normal circumstances, just sitting there as an adult. Knowing to you're not supposed yourself? to be doing that to allow yourself to relax enough to pee in your pants is, I'm sure, right. difficult anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At my advanced age, it's a lot easier. <laughs> is it? Well, yeah, I'm sure. See, that's one of the pluses, right? <laughs> <laughs> or not. I miss you guys. <laughs> it could be a plus. Which says a lot for me. Right? You, know. you said yes. Yeah. I'm just going to remind Again, you. you said, and actually, that's going to be the name of today's podcast. You said yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so this last weekend, uh, as we talk now in real life, um, was the, the launch up to the uh, International Space Station, and it was the, the Elon Musk, uh, the success of a manned flight. It was a dragon, right? Right. Um, they call it crew, crew dragon to designate it from the uh, cargo dragon. So Okay, so the crew dragon and, and, and best astronaut names Aside from Clay, best astronaut names ever, Bob and Tom, right? Bob and, Bob Doug. and Doug. I'm sorry, Bob and Doug. Bob and Doug McKenzie from Strange Bob. Brew. Yeah. <laughs> right? Do they, I mean, obviously people have got, they, they got teased before this happened, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm just assuming. I, mean, so, uh, I don't I don't think those two did. Okay. So like, if they only knew what we're all talking about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they might. They, they probably get this podcast on this International Space Station. Oh, I'm Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. We are intergalactic. Did you, <laughs> did you ever met those guys? Yes. Um, Bob, Dr. Bob is his call sign. Bob Bankin. He's a PhD, uh, MIT, Caltech, Air Force backseater, uh, test backseater, uh, really smart guy. He was the boss, the astronaut boss, uh, during wow. my, um, departure in 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then Doug Hurley, chunk, chunky is his call sign. <laughs> the other guy's doctor and he's chunky. And he's chunky. It's like, uh, wow. He, uh, is a Marine, uh, us Marine Navy fighter pilot. And, uh, you know, the, it's funny, the Marines, I flew with him, uh, uh, I flew with several Marines, not Chunky, sorry, I flew with Scorch, I flew with uh, CJ, and I flew with um, Sambo, and they were all top-notch. The Marine guys, really top-notch guys. Wow. Awesome. That's amazing. Are so- you a pilot, Clay? I have a private license. I haven't okay. used it in a long time. It's It just became too expensive and yeah. too... Uh, yeah. Is it kind of a, an automatic thing that if you're an astronaut, you're automatically get to be a pilot? Well, <laughs> I, would just, I would think that, you know, the passing the, the pilot test is here and the astronaut test is a little higher. Well, in the military, you have to be a pilot. Well, you don't have to, but in order to, to get in, uh, the military test pilot guys uh, have a distinct advantage on those that sit in the back seat 
although that's not precluded. And then uh, helicopter pilots are also popular choices for astronauts. So Really? And they usually come from test backgrounds, which is why Doug and Chunky, or Chunky and Dr. Bob were on the um, Crew Dragon, because they were both from the test pilot school. So, I mean, they're, they're, it seems like they're a braver breed of pilot if you're a test pilot, because you kind of have to have seeds of stone. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know that they were a whole lot braver than me, but they came, just came from a different background, right? And they bring that that idea of how you test a vehicle. How do you put it through its paces? Right. To be honest, that's something I never had. You know, I never got any of that training in school or, or at NASA. We just did a different thing. So the fact that those guys get in a vehicle and they go up and they put it to its limits in every conceivable way to make, try to make it fail. And then when it fails, then they have to get out of that failure, but wow. they also gather the data so they can preclude having it fail the next time. So those guys are really, really sharp. Uh, it's it's got to be like, you know, software design. You've got people that their their whole job is to find the break, find the problem, find the bug, right? And other yeah, people- like be, They're beta testers for hardware that flies. Wow. <laughs> there yeah. you go. There you go. Does that sounds scary. <laughs> yeah, it does. I think that's so that's so cool. It was it was cool too seeing what they call it the 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 lock the rocket was it what was it that came back and landed? The the Falcon 9 first stage. That's it. That was so cool. Amazing. <laughs> Every time you see that it's just amazing. I think that's where um, SpaceX and Elon Musk um, bring the most innovation. I call him an aggressive innovator and I I, I think that he, that's good for NASA. You know, NASA tends to not be aggressive, right? We're a government agency. We uh, test things to the bazillionth degree. And, and yet here's Elon doing some very unique uh, things to bring the cost of launch down. And the fact that he can drop that first stage on a platform in the water yeah. uh, or on land if he wants to. Uh, and he's working on dropping second stages and so he can reuse all this stuff. Well, that's one of the most innovative uh, concepts that's been designed in a long time. And NASA didn't do it. Right. right. The money saver, huge money saver because it's reusable. That's what we think. Yeah. And, and he gets the other good thing about this that people don't realize is when you bring that thing back, you get to look at it. You get to see what it went through, what and what condition it's in. Uh, you know, I show the Iowa State kids again to, to ping on that. But I show my freshman students X-15 footage of in the early days when they flew those vehicles and they didn't know what the environment was like up there. So you bring it home and you look at it and you can do stuff to it and you can see how to make it better. So when Elon brings those things home, not only does he save money so he can reuse them again, he's also able to look at them and see what they've been through and make them better. Make adjustments. Yeah. That's, right. that is fantastic. I didn't even think about that angle. Of yeah. It. Really cool. Yeah. So the launch itself, what did you think? Where were you at when you, when you watched it? So I was, uh, uh, in my study, uh, talking with ABC TV Houston, uh, I was the live commentator. Ah, the expert. NBD. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was fun. Um, the guy that was the anchor, Tom Abrams, is a friend of mine. He's an author as well as a ABC news anchor. And he had written a trilogy book called Spaceman, and I'm the spaceman. So uh, that's kind of cool. So oh, his story is dystopian uh, craziness, but uh, in that book, he used me as the uh, 
astronaut guy. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That is really cool. Really nice. I noticed Mm -hmm. during, during the actual launch itself, um, there was one point where they were, it was like the 10 minutes leading up when the camera was counting down, you Mm -hmm. know, or the clock was counting down. And I don't know the, the astronaut that was closest to the camera. I, I'm, there was probably just one feed, at least the one from NASA. Anyway, the one that was in the, the furthest seat, his, do you know who that was that Bob or was that Doug? So as you looked at him, uh, <laughs> chunky Doug was closest to you and Bob was on his right. Sort of been Bob. I noticed for like the, probably the last maybe five and a half, six minutes. He kept doing, he was doing something with his fingers. He wasn't touching anything. He wasn't touching a screen. He was just kind of moving his fingers back and forth. And this? my wife and I, yeah, like, like, yeah. And it, I was, my wife and I were like, what's he doing? Cause it's, is he controlling something with his fingers? Is it a nerve thing? <laughs> and a magic glove. Have- yeah. That's what I'm wondering. I mean, you, with Elon, <laughs> Elon Musk, you never know. Was he just, it's well, just a thing. It's a Harry Potter. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. I do. What I do know, what I can tell you is that when you're in your spacesuit, and and I know these are different from the one I flew in, but there's a bladder inside your gloves, right? And sometimes that bladder gets wadded up. And so you're constantly moving your hands to uh, make them feel better and not let them go to sleep or get crampy. Or, oh, it makes you know, sense then. I don't know if that's what they were doing. I really have yeah. no idea. Interesting. But I don't know how the gloves were designed either. So. It's cool. It was cool too when they, when cool. they landed and they, they met up. And then, you know, waiting for everything to got everything hooked up. And finally they opened up the hatch and he comes floating in. And I was like, that was, that was almost emotional. And, and I think for those, for the astronauts in particular that were there, and I'm sure for you on the ground, that this, this succeeded and everybody's fine. Well, having greeted a crew in August of 2007, um, it was very exciting for me. I, I, was so excited to see them, right? I hadn't seen anybody except Oligan Fielder for a couple months. Right? And I for some, <laughs> That's the best sentence ever. That's new faces. And, uh, <laughs> and the other thing was I had trained with them. They were the crew I was originally supposed to launch with. And I got moved up earlier. So when 117 took me, I got to see 118 when they all docked and came aboard. So we were we had trained together. We were close. It was really cool to see them. Uh, I was actually in a kind of a depressed state. I'd been arguing with the ground for a few, for about a week because they'd been pissing in my cornflakes and they'd been <laughs> jerking my wife and my kid around. Oh, um, too. Uh-huh. And then they had been messing with me about, you know, some stuff I was pretty passionate about on board. And, and so I was in that mode where, uh-huh really angry. I was, I was, didn't really want to talk to him, but when the crew came, it really lifted my spirits. I could forget about all the BS and, uh, we had a great time. I got to do a couple spacewalks and, uh, so it was a big lift for my spirits and it got me through that to the next thing. And so when Doug and Bob docked in crew dragon to the space station, having not had an American launch capability in, in almost a decade, uh, that's a big deal. And, for them to come, any crew to come in is always exciting. Uh, it's more people, you, you know, just, it's just like meeting some friends, right? If you have relatives or buddies from college, you drive down and meet you at your house and they're going to spend a few days with you. That's a cool thing. And mm-hmm. you get to catch up and you get yeah. to chat and talk about how the crew dragon worked and all the technology. And it's, it's just a good uplifting moment. And, I'm very so. jealous. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Now, what is the plan from here for for the, the space station itself and then for other launches? 
Well, these guys will be there. My understanding is they'll, they'll be there anywhere from one to four months. I'm going to guess four months because if, if I went to all that trouble to go up there, I'd want to stay just long enough where I wasn't tired of it really, you know, uh, and, and the man, other ones stayed, right? The other ones are still there with them too. Right. There's five people up there now. So three of them came up on a Russian Soyuz and then Doug and Bob, the two of them came on the crude dragon. So they'll stay for a while. Uh, the idea here is that it's a test flight, right? They're doing a demonstration. So they're going to run the systems through their paces and they're going to look at everything they can. Uh, when they finally come home, then another crew is getting ready to fly on a crude dragon to come back to the station. And I believe that's in October. So the plan would be these guys continue to bring crews up and down. The Russians will continue to bring crews up and down. And then you have Boeing over here who's working on bringing uh, crews to and from the space station. So it's a very dynamic time. Uh, it's an exciting time. Uh, I think astronauts are excited because the more vehicles you have, the more astronauts you need. Right. And more resources. Yeah. Resources, more minds, yeah. more eyes. Do you think NASA's ever going to get back in the game, taking crews up and down? Uh, not to the station, no. The whole idea yeah. here is NASA wants to offload. Think of it as your rental car, right? You rent the car, rent the vehicle, but you provide the astronauts to drive it. And then you don't have to worry about the maintenance of that car, mm-hmm. the washing of that car, the putting the gas in that way. Insurance. Insurance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. You know, yeah. what? how many bodies are in the trunk, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> That's really cool. So the the people that are already up there, the Russians that were already up there, I guess is it, are they Russians that were up there? Or were Two they Russians and an American? Okay, Cassidy, he's the Navy SEAL. Um, so would he be the last American then that goes up on the Suez? Would that uh, be? He, no, he. Won't, I don't think he'll be the last. Okay. I, I don't know how what their planning is, but he's the most current. Um, I'm going to guess that there are going to be astronauts from the United States that come up on the Soyuz and on the Dragon and on the Boeing Starliner. So, but the idea here is to wean us off of the Russian Soyuz. So uh, I'm not sure there's a plan in place. There, there are people that know way better than I who's assigned to go up on what vehicle and when. Yeah. So that's, that's- going to be an interesting dance of sorts. So now when you had the, the, the shuttles, how, okay, first of all, is there just one of the dragons, just one crew dragon, correct? One ve- one vessel vehicle? Uh, I th- I think there are multiples, but I don't quote me on so that. If the, so the one that goes yeah. up in October won't be the same one that went up this time. It'll be a different. I don't, I think you have to have at least two, but I don't know. So right? it, it's like you had multiple shuttles because you can't use the same shuttle because you have to refurbish things. Yeah. That's what I was wondering how long it took in between. If you did have only one vehicle, it'd be probably, a, you know, at least a year or something to fix stuff up. Right. Or something. Uh, something. I, I don't know what the time frame is, but I'm going to guess. And I don't know that there are a couple, at least a couple crew dragons such that one's being readied now uh, while the other one's operational in space. Got that it. would make sense. That would make sense. Um, as I was just looking at, they had a list and I can't find it. Of course they had a list of planned launches that were coming up, which I thought, and I heard your puppy. Um, <laughs> That's Pluto. Of course. Of course it is. The dwarf. <laughs> Pluto the dwarf. <laughs> the dwarf what, shit what too. Kind of, what kind of dog is that? He's a double doppel Dachshund. Double dapple dachshund. Double dapple dachshund. He looks like a whippet, a little whippet. Oh, yeah. With black spots, but he's really cute and he's deaf. He was a rescue puppy. So, oh, that's awesome. How old is he? I don't know. He's not real old. He's 
years, maybe in human years. So fourteen. Is he? Oh, is he? Uh, is he? Uh, he seems to be kind of a uh, vocal. Yeah, he and you know Lizzie is his partner in crime, and, and so he wherever Lizzie is or wherever a human is, he's right by you because since he can't hear, he has to be. He oh, wants yeah. to be near you all the time. Oh, sure, in eyesight. No mm-hmm. doubt, no doubt. All right, so now I got to ask, what do you think of Space Force? <laughs> so I can honestly answer now. You want the TV show or the, the United <laughs> States government entity? The United States government entity. No, oh, I was going to say I watched two episodes of the TV show and I wasn't impressed. I so. couldn't. I couldn't. I try. I was like, could do I want to? And I read the description and I started and like looked at the trailer. I'm like, yeah, I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> just... We made it through the first one and we chuckled a few times. So we thought, well, let's and and with the people that are in the cast, you know. Yeah. So we went to the second one, and the second one was totally stupid. So, <laughs> but you got you watching a show about that is like us watching Frasier and knowing him on being on the radio, and not having headphones on, and hearing the phone. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We know it's impo- it doesn't yeah, work. Just to point that out to clear that up for anybody, Frasier <laughs> never wore headphones, but he could hear his callers, which is impossible. It doesn't work like that, right? <laughs> it drove me crazy. Plus, you could talk to the gal behind the glass. Yeah, right. without doing anything, With nothing. It, it and I've been there. I've been in the studio, so I. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Smoke and mirrors. It doesn't work that way. All right. So the the. Uh, so the U.S. government space force. Um, <laughs> the way I've been interviewed a lot about this, and the way I answer it is, we have the United States has resources in space that require protection, and when the Chinese demonstrated they were capable of launching a rocket into space and blasting one of their dead satellites to smithereens. That tells us that they could do that to us. Those satellite, those resources that we have in the United States government keep our soldiers, the men and women of our U.S. military safe. They help them do their job uh, overseas and around the world. And so the bottom line is, yes, those assets require protection. Now, the question is, how do you protect them? Do you need something called Space Force? That's way above my pay grade. Uh, if Space Force, and like I told a lot of people, you know, if it just means you take Space Command and you buy a new t-shirts and say Space Force on the front, <laughs> that's a pretty cheap way to get your Space Force. Yeah. But like all government entities and the Affordable Care Act and things like that, <laughs> I don't anticipate it's going to be a small deal. <laughs> Um, and that's where I have issue with it. You know, I had some astronaut colleagues that came out, you know, then they don't like Trump. And, and so they immediately said, it's the stupidest idea. They're military guys. Um, and maybe they have data I don't have. That's totally possible. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking on what I know and, and giving my opinion, which is those assets need protection. It's how we protect them. And how much do you spend to create a government entity that, is responsible for that protection. You you can do stuff. I mean, look at Elon Musk. Look what he did on a on a smaller budget, right? So right. what what precludes us from that similar effort? Nothing, except we have to want to do it that way. So I don't have. Yeah, I'm just a small town boy from Nebraska who you know got C's in school, and <laughs> I don't really know what the answer is, but I know that I truly believe they need protection. So I will support Space Force if it's done the right way. Mm-hmm. But if it becomes some bureaucratic, crazy nightmare, like half of the 
you know, departments that we have today in our government, then I'm going to be a little skeptical, right? Exactly. No, I understand. And I, I feel the same way because one person had pointed out, you've got divisions of our armed services that cover land and sea and air. Um, okay, space. You know, it just kind of makes right. sense that you have that division and and you co- kind of coalesce everything and, and you know, to, to delineate this is this, this is this, this is this. And they all support each other um, right. in different ways and they can all do things individually that the others can't. And it yeah. makes sense. That's why you should watch the first episode of Correct <laughs> Space Force because he, he's with the Joint Chiefs of Staff and it's a pretty funny uh, it's, it's a little three minute thing. And it's, it, that's one of the things I laughed at, right? Because <laughs> the air force guy trying to tell Corel who's going to run space force that, that, that space is air, right? Space is oh, argument about, is it air? And sp- oh, it's so- <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's important that we also realize that we didn't always have all of the branches of the U S military. And I believe the Air Force is one that came from the Army, I'm going to say. I don't know that I don't remember the details, but some of them came from others to to do different things. Right. Because Mm -hmm. you as you get smarter, you realize you don't have the capability to do some of the things you need to do. So Mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Now, see what I found here. I did find my launches and landings page. (laughs) And it's it's on the NASA site, actually. So October 14th. No, July 17th. Is going to be the next one. And then October. Next one what? Launch, it says. Launch of what? I'm looking right now because my page just changed. A, a, ro- a spaceship. <gasps> this is a, this launch is Perseverance. Oh, that is. That's a rover. Robotic rover that's going to go to Mars. That's the new, didn't they just have a big contest to name Perseverance? Not that long ago, but it was a while ago. But uh, That's very possible. Yeah. I very think cool. probably so. Okay, then. In October, that you mentioned, October 14th is NASA, NASA from NASA. Kate Rubens is the astronaut mm-hmm. and cosmonauts, oddly, both named Sergey. Um, yeah, so she, she's going on a Soyuz then. Yes. Yeah. And that's the only two they have listed on here right now. And then, yeah, the, the next Dragon uh, has a crew named. It's a crew of four. Uh, I just don't know when they're going to go. So you always hear about um, uh, our American space program, Russian space program, mm-hmm. Chinese space program. Mm-hmm. Do any other countries have astronauts, but no rockets or no capability to get them up in space? Oh, sure. C- Canada. Oh. Uh, Japan. The European Space Agency. Uh, Russia, of course. The United States. And then uh, Brazil had a single astronaut that was in my uh, astronaut class. He was a great guy. But they, he was a bartered position based on you know, agreements they made with space station. So did I get, let's see, Japan, Canada, Europe has 15, 16 countries. So they can come from Italy, France, Germany, uh, Russia, the United States, who am I missing? Then China has their own space program. India has a space program. Uh, they don't have any astronauts yet. Saudi Arabia has a program and they're, they have some astronauts that are actually getting ready to fly with uh, the Russians, I think. Wow. And, and you have, uh, other countries in Australia, they just started a space program. So um, space is the thing, I guess. So, well, that's kind of cool, though, because every one of those countries, then they send their representatives or their, their represented um, astronauts, because when they bring back information, does that is the stuff that they bring back, is it a, a shared information amongst all the countries? Or 
does Australia go home and says, ah, look what I found? <laughs> well, today with the uh, current international partners, so that includes Japan, Canada, the United States, Russia, and the European Space Agency, all that is shared. Um, the agreements that are out there have been in place for a while. Uh, China, no. Uh, China got most of their tech from Russia. Uh, India, I have no idea where they are. They've launched some satellites, but I don't know any more than that. Um, but I do believe the United States, I would really like to see us reach out and try to partner with China. And the reason I say that is I know that they're communist. I know that it's not legal right now, but I think we should work on making it a thing we can do because if you work with them in space, you're not going to fight them on the ground. And, you know, we have a lot of issues right now with China for on many different subjects. And so if you could unify uh, in space a little bit, maybe it would help you with all that other stuff. I mean, it helped us with Russia. It wasn't perfect, mm -hmm. uh, but it helped. And we, I mean, you know, we haven't had a real... Russian conflict, um, you know, military-like for a long time. That's true. So. Yeah, there's there's some trash talk every once in a while, but that's yeah, about it. Right. <laughs> Just puffing but your there's chest. There's always but. trash talk, right? There's trash talk in our government, amongst our government. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> that's the truth. Um, you know what? It's, it's interesting. For our company, we produce a lot of podcasts for retired athletes, and one of the some of the things that they talk about a lot is that they were glad they retired. It, it was done. It's in the past, but they always feel like in the back of their head, like if I got, if I got the call, I could have one good game left in me. If I trained a little bit, I could have one good game left in me. Do you feel like if you trained a little bit, you could have one more launch in you? Would you want to go back and do it? Oh, absolutely. I would. Now I say that I could, I could do it. I could train my Russians decent. Um, my <laughs> physical, I'm a little heavier, I guess, but I, I could still fly in space. Quarantine I mean, 15, right? Quarantine uh, 15. Heavier than me. <laughs> <laughs> but I would, I would love to do it on my terms, right? If I, if someone were to offer me the opportunity to go based on their terms, um, you know, if it was Elon, for example, and he wanted me to lead that group of crazy people he was going to send around the moon and that space thing that he was, <laughs> that he's building. And if he was going to pay me, a good rate yeah. and insurance and my travel and my clothes and everything. Why not? And, mm -hmm. uh, but I would talk to my family about it, right? Because any decision I make now is a family decision. Um, they sacrificed everything for me to do what I did. And now it's time that if I get that opportunity, I would have to ask them. Sure. Their now, of course, my kids would say, yeah, get the hell out. Yeah. Dad. <laughs> Go to space. Go to like, space. Like I think, <laughs> go away, Dad. Go, go far, far away. <laughs> um, you think it like the movies when they pulled the team together, like in Armageddon or or some of those, other, and they 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 brought him out of retirement, and they bring this guy out of this, and and they had like a minute to train or to prepare, and they were off to the races, and <laughs> thinking there's just no way <laughs> like, that would be hard. I could do it. I think I could do it in six months. You know, if, if mm -hmm. I got an MBL, the big swimming pool and the spacesuit for a, a few runs. And if I uh, went, got some refreshers in, on Russian systems and U.S. systems, I, I, yeah. I'd be all right. Um, it's like riding a bike, a big but space I think bike. That to get on Crew Dragon would be a whole new deal for me because I have no idea. I, I know the principles, but I don't know the system, right? And I don't know the touchscreen and all that stuff but I could be taught, but I don't want to go through a three or four year training program uh, to get six more months in space. Um, yeah. 
that's not something that appeals to me. Um, and I wrote in my first book, you know, about I felt when I retired, I had a lot more to give. And I felt like that baseball player who shows up at the stadium, right? And he's penciled, been penciled in at second base for the last 10 years of his career. And he looks at the lineup card and he's not penciled in. So he goes to the manager and the manager says, ah, we're giving you a couple days rest. And then two days later, he's looking for his name on the card again, and it's not there. And he goes to the manager again. Well, you know, we, we're working on blah, blah, blah. Well, eventually he figures out he's not going to be on that lineup card anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And so he has to make a decision. And you don't want to be that guy, or at least I didn't want to be that guy that made the decision that I tried to go to another team or I tried to, you know, yeah. hang on. And, and then it just went, you know, down the, downhill from there. Um I, you know what, that stuff, that's got to be in, in about any profession, especially yours, highly skilled profession, but any profession like that, where you, you were a vital part of it and you were right in the middle of it. And to, to finally answer that call and say, you know, it's time for me to walk away. It's time, it, you know, it's like, you don't want to go too soon, but you sure don't want to stay. You don't want to be the last one to leave the party. Um, well, yeah. And I dreamed of that for my whole life, right? That's what I wanted to be. And I finally got to be it. Yeah. And, and I'm honored and grateful but I would have liked to been it for a little while longer. <laughs> yep. Yeah. For sure. Yep. It's still got the taste for it. And it's still, I'd love to do that one more time. That would be so cool mm-hmm. though. That's neat. Well, hopefully it'll happen one day. Maybe Elon will show up. And, <laughs> right. You know what? Honestly, like, listen, man, we want somebody that has, cause you, you have the skills that you need and it would be a lot easier yeah. than training somebody well, for three or four years. Like you said, but what about like they're talking about civilian program um, down the road? Yeah, that's an interesting one for me, JT, because, you know, let's take Virgin Galactic, for example. They've got a list of people that have paid a couple hundred thousand to hold their, well, or they're going to pay a couple hundred thousand or more to fly for five minutes in weightlessness. And to me, that would be a cool gig. Um, And by the way, my commander from SDS-117 is one of the Virgin Galactic rocket pilots. So to go, you know, those people are going to need a babysitter. They're not going to need, they don't know what they're getting into, I don't think, right? They're going to go up there and they're going to be sick to their stomach and they're going to be yakking chunks, half of them, at least half of them. And they're going to be in an, in an environment that's totally foreign and different to them. And they have to be taken care of so they are safe, right? Yes. You don't want $250,000 and, you know, break a window and go get sucked out or something crazy. So. Uh, they, those kind of people and these guys, Elon wants to take around the moon and back. They're going to need hab techs, if you will, people that know what's going on that can try to keep things safe. Cause can you imagine if something were to go wrong on one of those trips, you know, those people might no, free. You're right. Trained, you know, exactly. So, cause you can't rely on the pilot cause they have other things on their mind. Um, so yeah. you'd have to have people that were skilled right. and experienced. It, it's another paradigm shift that I think I'm going to watch with interest because, you know, I'm kind of a smart aleck and I call them babysitters. But if you really think about it, when I lived underwater for two weeks on the Aquarius habitat, we had two babysitters. Wait a minute. I don't remember ever talking about this. What? And you- he, he drops that. He drops that like he goes, remember we went to Oakview last summer? It's like, what? Like you lived underwater for two weeks? Want to take a second to thank American Heart Association for being a supporter of our podcast. Absolutely. Really proud to be working with them and passing along some good information. Would you recognize the most common signs of a stroke? They're important to know. Just remember, fast. Face, arms, speech, and time. Fast. Exactly. If one side of their face droops when they smile, 
If they can't keep both arms raised in the air or their speech is slurred or strange, or you see any of those signs, call 911 immediately. When it comes to a stroke, every second counts. My grandfather had a stroke right. and I realized that and they got to him in time and it helped. It's all in the, just the simplest thing. Remember, fast. Face, arms, speech, time. Visit heart.org to learn more about how to prevent a stroke and recognizing the warning signs of a stroke. Yeah, that was part of my training. So we uh, lived on the Aquarius Habitat off of Key Largo, Florida. And there were six of us, uh, three astronauts, um, one scientist from NASA, and two what they call Habtechs. I call them babysitters. So (laughs) the two babysitter Habtech guys, they took care of everything, every system in the habitat, because we didn't know how to do that. We didn't uh, have the experience or the training to do that. We were there to do some other stuff. And so these guys were the guys that worked on the electric, the air conditioning, the communication, all that stuff. We played, we did cool stuff because we were astronauts. (laughs) But that's the idea that I think NASA needs to adopt uh, or these spacefaring countries, companies need to adopt uh, when they start taking tourists because you I mean, think of it as a yeah. cruise ship and you take that cruise ship and you stand it on its end and you put rockets on the side of it. Now you're going to launch that cruise ship with all these paying passengers into space. Well, what do you have on a cruise ship? You have the captain, you have his bunch of guys, you have mm-hmm. the dude that does entertainment, you have a dude that worries about food, you have a dude that worries about all the other stuff and Every- selling you really expensive jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> And expensive drinks. And, but it's I'll a good analogy if you yeah. think about it, right? Yeah, yeah. that's exactly that's, true. It makes total sense. Maybe not to that level, but you're only going to be taking, I don't know, a couple, three, four, six tourists with you. So one person might be able to do that babysitting. Uh, if I'm paying $200,000 to do this, I want some personal attention. And not to minimize it at all or make it sound like it's not anything, but like to have somebody that can point stuff out. Like if it's going to be five or six minutes to explain the different stages when, if there is a reentry, if there, when you feel zero gravity, instead of, you know, somebody that hasn't done it, somebody that has like you and spent a lot of time up there, you're the expert. It'd be a, they won't miss out. Yeah. You'd be a great tour guide. Really? Yeah. I don't, I don't know what their, uh, what do you guys call it? Business plan. I don't know what their business plan is for this. I know that they have one real astronaut, CJ Sturkow. He is a real astronaut. The other uh, lady they have, that's their trainer. Um, you know, she went, she did their, one of their test flights and got five minutes in zero gravity, but she never went to orbit. So, huh. you know, it, it's, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how they're going to do it. It'll be interesting to see. It will, because I'm sure this is going to, where it's at right now is not where it's going to be a year from now. Um, they'll, they'll, They'll probably expand on it and other ideas, and maybe other companies will pop up and say, you know what, we're going to be doing this too. Um, or some shared knowledge and, and try to mm-hmm. get this. I think it's super exciting. Yeah. Um, just the idea of it is just like, crazy but now let's go back to you living underwater again just for a minute (laughs) (laughs) why were you why were you living underwater what did it what was it for one of the things nasa tries to do when they're training astronauts that they have is they have to put you in extreme environments because it's too expensive to train you in space i mean you go to space to do the work you're supposed to do so sending you up there once to train and then bringing you home and then sending you back is expensive so what, where can we send our astronauts? What can we have them do that would show us that, A, they can 
learn and develop the skill sets they need. B, they can be a team player and C, they can deal with stress and being away from their family and all those kind of things in a short, small package that's not expensive. And so there was a, a habitat that's been in existence for quite some time and some very uh, innovative thinking NASA engineers came up with this concept. And I was one of the first five crews. I was NEMO 5, NASA Extreme Environment Mission Operations. So wow. I was the crew to go live underwater in this habitat. And the idea was I was going to be in a habitat called Space Station in a different extreme environment called space. So why not put me in 65 feet below the ocean surface for me to live straight for two weeks, go scuba every day, which was a spacewalk, and to do science experiments in the habitat to prepare my food and learn how to eat and drink and all those sort of things. Now, the only difference was there's not zero gravity. Uh, but we had to pee into the ocean. We had to poop uh, under a bubble where the fish ate. Wow. ate had to poop under a bubble. Yeah. I'm going to write that one down. That, might, that might be the name of that it. That might too. be the poop under the bubble. There's like take six. Take a cup in your bathtub, right? Yeah. Flip it upside down. Okay. Air pocket, right? Yeah. So do that under the water, 65 feet below the surface, and you swim out. So we had to swim. For, if you had to go poo poo, you swum from the habitat up into this bubble where you could breathe. You could stand, right? There's a platform you stand on. And then you drop trowel and you fire it away. Fire it away. My brother and I used to fart in a cup in the tub, and it was, it was sitting there and it would stink inside there forever. I mean, infinity. You two could be an astronaut. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Astronaut training right That's there right. in Waterloo. Parting in a cup in Waterloo, Nebraska. <laughs> we See, always I, thought that in Ashland. We thought that about people from Waterloo. That's right. That's right. We knew that's what they were doing. Okay, and I'm confirming it right now. I'm confirming it. So what came first, your Nemo or finding Nemo? Uh, finding Nemo. Okay, because I think it's kind of ironic yeah. that it's it's water, it's fishy, and it's Nemo. And, and I'm Nemo. sure that they said, well, we want to name it Nemo. How can we make that work? Give me, and, give me some well, words. NASA. Extreme. Right, yeah. Mediterranean. Got it. One of NASA's, at least at the Johnson Space Center where I'm from, one of the big things was you had to be a clever acronym manipulator. <laughs> and you had to come up with something like the SNP or the Snoopy or the Nemo. Or, so... The more clever your acronym, you were. Ooh. Were you richly rewarded? <laughs> richly rewarded? No. no. Okay. No. <laughs> no. No. But you you had you had uh, street cred. Yes, and you know when you pop your acronym up on a chart in a big meeting, and everybody go, "What's that?" And you tell them what your acronym is. You know, they might go, "Oh, that's clever." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's all you need. That's it. That's enough. I can live on that. <laughs> That's awesome. Clay, thank you for taking so much time and chat with yes. us. It's good to catch up with you every every couple of months. Right? It's my pleasure. I love you guys. I love what you do. And I'm, I'm yours anytime you need me. Thank you. You're the man. Thanks, Clay. Be well. Thanks, you buddy. You too. Stay safe, man. We'll see you later. <laughs> uh, the Pat and JT Podcast. It's Pat and JT on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can text us, uh, 402-403-9478. Podcast.